Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you, thank you. You guys can have a seat. Man, it's so good. We love your pastors. How many of you guys love, you have the best pastors in the whole world. Do you agree? Give it up for pastors Randon and Lindsay. We, uh, we have been dear friends for many years. For those of you, though, that don't know, we've been with the Clarks for about 25 years. So we're pretty much adopted into the Clarks. Uh, it has been such a great, great, uh, you know, just a lifetime of friendship. This one of the things I love about Triumph is that Triumph is about relationships. And uh, there's very few churches that you can look at across the nation where men and women have been at that church for an extended amount of time. And, you know, you look around and you can say, oh, well, that's normal. It's not normal. Lots of churches recycle lots of people constantly. And yet Triumph has such a legacy of raising up men and women. Uh, we're the third and fourth generations in the same house. And it, it speaks volumes to our leader, Bishop uh, Randy and Pastor Renee and the sons that they've raised up. And I'll tell you, it's exciting. Many people have said, well, you know, Pastor Jim, it's, uh, church planning is like falling off a cliff. <laughs> Let's hope I can survive. And, uh, you know, I have to tell you, it hadn't been like falling off a cliff. It's more like a runway. Bishop and them have just helped this be a, a real runway. And, you know, if there's enough, enough land that you can go through, you can actually take off and it'd be really good. You don't have to fall off a cliff. And uh, so thank you guys for your prayers and support. It's, it's been amazing. We've got some people from our church. Why don't you guys stand up, Mom and Dad and, and uh, Joanna and Alexa and Albert and Phyllis and Miguel and uh, Philip. Yeah, so good to see you guys. Representing the church, they were going to wear their t-shirts today. We have some church t-shirts, but we thought we ought to be proper this morning. <laughs> Rosenberg, we get a little ghetto on you. They, uh, <laughs> we started a softball league, and so we got these shirts, uh, shirts made. And it's funny, man. They are uh, they the, the names they come up with in the softball league definitely do not reflect God. And so here we are. They're like, who the what? The church. They're like, whoa. We better watch our mouths. Hallelujah. <laughs> It's, uh, it's been really, really good. We're excited. You know, it's been a great journey. It was funny. I, I preached here just right after I got back from Africa or South Africa this year. And uh, while I was on the trip to South Africa, the Lord really spoke to me. It was probably one of the most profound uh, mission trips I have ever been on. Have you ever had the Lord speak a word into your heart? And it touched you in such a way that you're, uh, you're forever moved by what was spoken. And I had one of those moments, but didn't really know what to do with it. The Lord really spoke transition. I came home. I told Phil, I said, this is the year of transition. I have no idea what that means. I just know that's what the Lord spoke to me. And uh, how many of you know we don't try to figure out what the Lord says? We just guard the word. We put it in our hearts. Have you ever tried to figure it out and realize, man, you went a whole different direction than what God was speaking? And so we've been around long enough just to say, God, whatever it is, we embrace your will for our lives and then in March, uh, Bishop and I had conversations, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Phyllis and I actually live in Rosenberg. We lived, uh, moved there about a year and a half ago and have been commuting into Stafford. It's about 25 minutes away, uh, every day for work, into the church, and on Sundays. And uh, so for Bishop and I, when we had the conversation, just say, man, plant a church. We, we know God is building a great church in Rosenberg, and this is your season uh, I'll tell you, it just, God, you, how many you know you get that shock and then awe? Have you ever been there? It's like, what? Whoa, okay, okay. All right, we can do this. We can do this. 
can we do this, Pastor? He's like, you can do this. All right, we can do this. <laughs> and uh, there's a little bit of that shock and awe in, in your heart. And uh, you just say, okay, God, we can do this. And so we have been plowing since May. Bishop, uh, they've helped to pay our salary for several months. Thank God for a bishop that believes in sending out sons. And uh, helped us to go and begin to plow, begin to build relationships with people like Miguel and his family. Uh, and then what, what happened was just started networking and God bringing people. We've had several three launch meetings and we've got about 35 people who have joined our church so far. And we hadn't even launched yet. We're not going to launch till January or March. God is faithful. And uh, you know, not only people, but people that believe in tithes and offering. Uh, to this day, we have raised about $50,000 for the church. And so I'll tell you, that's a testimony of God's miracle working power. You know, we believe when God gives the vision, he gives provision. And uh, we've got a lot more to raise, lots of things ahead of us, but we're on a good, clear path. And uh, Triumph will have a sister church in Rosenberg that is strong and healthy and reaching that community with the power of the gospel. And so it's exciting. I'm privileged as always to be here this morning. Thank you if you're watching online. It's just always a privilege to speak into your lives. I have been praying for, for a month now or so, probably two months about this message. And I feel like the Lord would have me talk about be the one. Be the one. In today's environments, America has become increasingly hostile to God and Judeo-Christian values. And I believe God is calling a body of believers to be the ones that are the salt and the light to those around them in this world. The church doesn't need to model after the world. We don't need to look like the world. We need to be separated from the world. And it's important as pastors, as leaders, as a Christ follower, for us to understand that God is calling us to be the example to, this, to the world. If it's not you, then who? If it's not now, then, then when are we going to do it? And, and if it's not your community and your workplace and your schools and your family, then where is it that we are supposed to live our Judeo-Christian values? For so long, society has told us to make it a personal, private expression of our faith. But God never called us to live in isolation as a personal, private expression. He called us to be publicly displaying His glory to the world. And that's what's going to change the world. And so this morning, I want to give us an example of a man that is one of my greatest heroes that not only survived in a hostile environment to God, but he thrived. His name is Daniel. Everybody here has heard, most everybody here has heard the story of Daniel. If you'll turn to Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to dive in this morning because I believe Daniel gives us some examples and some questions that we as believers must answer if we're going to be the salt and the light to the world around us. I don't know about you. I don't want to just make it. I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. I want God to have his hand on my life that everywhere I go, everywhere I look, everything I say, it's a miracle and a testimony to his greatness. See, it's not about you. Can I get an amen? It's not about me. It's all about God, and when we get our, our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes on God, then he can do the real work in this world. And so Daniel is such a great example. Let me give you a little bit of a history. He grew up in King Josiah's reign. Josiah was the young king that brought reformation to the kingdom of God, the people of God. 
the people that had gotten off track and young Josiah reads the scriptures or has them read to him for the first time. He rips his clothes and says, man, this God, he, he embraces Jehovah God, the one true living God, and says, we must change the course of this nation because we serve a real God and a good God. Well, Josiah brings reformation. However, he is killed in a battle with Egypt. The next king comes up. And begins over the next four years to take the people of God down a different path. A path away from God. And so the king of Babylon comes in because the hand and protection of God is off of the people. And he takes the people of God captive. And this is where most of us know the story of Daniel. He is taken as a captive into Babylon. I, I don't know if you know this, but he was actually marched from Jerusalem to Babylon, which is over 500 miles and so he is doing good just to make the march to Babylon, exhausted, probably frustrated, dismayed. He is of royal nature and character, and the blood of royalty is inside of him. He hasn't compromised his life. He didn't compromise what was on the inside of him, but because of the leadership that had compromised, he was taken captive into a hostile nation. And so here he uh, was grown up and raised in Jerusalem, and he's thrust into a pagan culture, and he is expected to conform. He is expected to line his life up with the Babylonians. He is expected to do what they tell him to do and to be who they tell him to be. However, Daniel is a teenager with convictions. He's only about 12, 15 years of age, somewhere around there. And yet Josiah's reformation touched him in such a way. He had understood that God is more than just some religion. It would grab the hold of him in such a way that as a young teenager, he makes God famous. He displays the glory of God to a hostile nation. Now the beautiful thing about Daniel's picture, I don't think as Christians we have to live as poor, pitiful, and defeated. I don't care how hostile this nation or the government or people, your boss or anything become to God. He can raise you up even if they don't like you. He can cause you to be elevated into positions of influence even if that boss hates your guts. We serve a God that's bigger than your boss. And Daniel is an example of a nation and people surrounding him that hate him, hate his God. And yet God exalts him so that he could be made famous. He didn't exalt him so that he could have riches to spend on himself. He didn't exalt him so he could be comfortable and feel good and have a nice life. He didn't exalt him so he could pursue an American dream. He exalted him so that he could be made famous and display his glory. And it's interesting that throughout this, Daniel is found ten times better than all the learned. That God's hand is upon him. And I propose this morning, God's hand is upon you. Oh, I don't feel like it. I bet Daniel didn't feel like it when he was marching 500 miles. I don't feel like it. Even when your boss is, is hard on you, those are persecuted. Doesn't matter what you feel like, I propose God's hand is on you this morning. So my thing is, what did Daniel do? How could he live a life like that in a hostile nation that did not believe in his God, love his God, nor want his God? I propose he had to answer three tough questions. And this morning, we must answer those questions if we're going to be the one. The first one is this. What is truth? What is truth? Now, you have to understand, Daniel was raised in Judah. We would parallel that to the church. 
He understood religion. He understood what it was to have read and heard the word of God, the scriptures. And uh, he understood that the truth of God was transcendent. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Jim? That means it was truth back then. It is truth today and it will be truth tomorrow. That God is the God of truth, not society. I don't care what society says. Society doesn't have the ability to change the definition of truth. God Almighty is the one to define what is truth. So Daniel had to understand inside of him, what is truth? Daniel chapter 1 verse 3 through 4. Uh, the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family... And nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now imagine, Daniel is now enrolled in Babylon State University. Full ride. Whether he wants it or not, he is thrust into a pagan education system. Now, this system was there to brainwash the people. They put them in there for three years. The Babylonians believed if you could teach, train every day, day in and day out someone for three years, you could brainwash their old mentality to conform into your new mentality. And so they began to cause him to learn everything that they believed was truth and everything they wanted him to believe as a nation. So they, they taught him good things, math, they taught him science, they taught him literature, but you know what, they also taught him magic. They taught him the things that made them a great nation in their eyes. See, the conquering nation believed that their gods were greater, that their ways were greater, were greater. Had it not been so, they wouldn't have conquered the conquered people. And so here they're saying, our ways are better than your ways. We're smarter, we're brighter, we're better. Learn what it is that you are set to learn and let it become your truth. The God, the ways of your God are irrelevant. We conquered you. And so he goes and they train, they're reprogramming him, or so they think. But I can hear Daniel's life saying, don't compromise. Don't compromise. See, I, I believe you got to go to school. I believe in an education. I believe in higher learning. Go and get your education, young people. Don't not go to school. Be the best lawyer you could possibly be. Be the best politician. Be the best whatever it is that God is calling you to be. Get an education. Just don't let that education change your values. And what has happened is we are called intolerant, we are called ignorant, we are called stupid, that God is not alive, that higher education has the answers. Who are you to challenge what we know to be true? But I hear Daniel's life saying, don't compromise your convictions. Don't compromise your beliefs. You say, well, well okay, that's, well, what do you mean? Well, I know that in society today it is not popular to believe that marriage is defined between a man and a woman. But as a believer, as a Christian, we have to answer the question, what is truth? The Bible clearly made Adam and Eve. Now let me tell you this. I've got friends that are homosexual. I love homosexuals. I love people that are trying to press through some of these liberal laws and things that don't line up with God's word. But you have to understand, we can love people and still stand up for truth. 
And for someone to put you in a category and say you're intolerant is incorrect. It's hate speech. No, 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 honey, let me tell you this. Hate speech is keeping your mouth shut. As this nation and society is dying and going to hell, hate speech is not saying anything. So we as believers must lovingly embrace people, but the whole time say truth is truth. There are other things that we could talk about abortion. Listen, I love women. I know people that have had abortions. But it doesn't matter what people say truth is in a society. The Bible says every person is a child of God. He created us in his image. And so even the unborn have the right to be defended by us. And so listen, I say this with all love and and sincerity. We as believers, we embrace those that have had abortions. I know people. It's Listen. God loves people. He doesn't always love what we do. Sin is sin. And yet at the same time, as a believer, we must say truth is truth. Yeah, they're going to ostracize you. No, 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 no. What's going to happen is there's going to be a polarization in these last days. The dark is going to get darker. The bright's going to get brighter. The question is, where are you going to fall? Is the American church going to sway over to the world so that they say, well, who's the salt and the light? I don't know about you, but salt has flavor. Salt shouldn't be mundane like everything else. So when you walk into a room and you say, hey, I don't agree with everybody else. That's right. That's your saltiness. When there's light in a room, darkness flees. But if you're not the light, you're part of the dark. And listen, triumph, listen. This is my church. We have got to stand up for truth. And as we do, let me tell you, do it in a winsome way. Chuck Colson was one of my mentors, him and his staff and T.M. Moore. And he used to preach to us and preach to us and preach to us about worldview. He used to say this, winsome, be winsome. William Wilberforce is his great hero. And, and you know, William, William Wilberforce fought for the rights of people. And fought against slavery. And the reality is this. He did it in such a way as to win the opponents over. So my deal is this. As you talk about truth. Why don't you become friends with someone who is on the opposing viewpoint. Find a homosexual that you ask God to break your heart for. And love them even if they don't change. And what happens is our heart of love breaks for these people. And out of that, it says, God, I've got to tell them the truth. I love them so much. God, let me just be bold and courageous. Let me be like Daniel. Let me be the one. So he had to answer the question, what is truth? The second question Daniel had to answer, for God to use him in a society that was hostile to God, is this, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Daniel chapter 1 verse 6 says, Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, to Meshach, uh, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now what is happening here is something we wouldn't really typically understand. But the, the hostile nation, Babylon, has changed their names. So in an attempt to brainwash them and manipulate them to be who they prophesy them to be. See, nowadays we name people because it's cool and it's trendy and we like the name. And we don't fully understand that when we speak a name, we are prophesying a destiny over people. Well, the Babylonians. 
Babylonians, they understood this. And so they would bring people in, begin to educate them in their ways, begin to brainwash them to believe what it is they believed. And then they would change their name because it would change their loyalty. So Daniel's name actually means God is judge. So every time you would say Daniel, you're talking about Jehovah God, the true living God. He is my judge and he's our judge. And so every time his name was spoken, it brought a reference to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so the Babylonians are bringing them in. They're changing them. They're manipulating. They're brainwashing. And they begin to call him Belshazzar. Bel protects the king. So your God is irrelevant. We conquered y'all. So it is our God that protects our king. So if you want protection like our king had protection when he whooped your tail, then you recognize that it's Baal who's the real God. Baal protects the king. Baal protects the king. Baal protects the king. Baal protects the king. So every time his name is said, there's a reference and it's almost this, this demeaning of it was our God who won. Not yours. And I wonder if in today's environment that that same thing is happening to us. Now listen, I know they're not changing your name from Jim to Frank or to Tammy to to Phyllis. But I propose what's happened in our society is they're shifting our identity. And so what we do has begun to shape who we are. When in essence, who we are ought to shape what it is that we do. You say, well, how do you do it? Well, you're a teacher. Okay, great. I'm a teacher. Well, as long as this nation lines up with Judeo-Christian values and it conforms to what we believe, you're good. The problem is you're in a hostile environment. This nation no longer stands on the values that we as believers stand on. So when they say you're a teacher, they want you to conform to what they call a teacher. Which means you don't talk about God, you don't witness to people, and you better keep your mouth shut on the creation issue. Why? Because their textbooks say otherwise. Well, the reality is this. You're not a teacher. You're a Christian who teaches. I'm not a lawyer. I am a Christian who practices law. So no matter what lawyers do in general, if it doesn't line up with my Judeo-Christian values, then I have to associate with Christianity before I do with practicing law. And so what has happened is as believers, we have been silenced and told to shut up. If you're a politician, you're not a politician who practices religion. You're a Christian who is in politics. So it's no longer this personal, private expression. I am a Christian. I believe in Christian values. I stand for this. I do this. And it begins to shape who you are because your job does not define you. Youth, check it out. They say you're a football player. Well, that's great as long as the football players are going to church, touching lives, making a difference. But when they're all going to a party, I'm a Christian before I'm a football player. And so my values of who I am, my identity, who am I? You're a Christian. You don't have to find yourself. Listen, young people, you have to find out what the Bible says about being Christian and you found yourself. It's the truth. If someone would have told me that when I was young, I would have saved myself a lot of heartache. And yet we have a society that is hostile to God. And I hear Daniel saying, don't compromise. Don't compromise. I don't care what they say you are, what they make you out to be. You're a 
Christian. Yeah, I was just talking to someone after the first service. She came up. She said, oh, I, you know, I wish my husband was here. We're going through this exact same thing. His name is Ray. And uh, she said he just lost his job as a counselor, as a counselor, because she was telling the people that Jesus will set you free. Now, it ain't about 12 steps. I got the God who defined the steps. And you need to be saved, set free, and delivered. And then you jump in the process. And so she said he was just fired on Friday because they said, accused him of pushing Jesus on people. She said, Jesus is the way. I was so encouraged. I thought, that's a man who knows who he is. He's a Christian. And it doesn't matter what they tell him to say. Listen, it ain't a fairy tale. It ain't some movie that you're going to watch. I'm telling you, good people die. Bad things happen to good people. So you take a stand and someone, we've been swayed into this love, joy, peace, happiness. That's great, but tell the person that died last week as a martyr in Iran. I got you. Listen, I want a good life, a nice life. But the reality is this. If God doesn't deliver you out of your situation, he'll give you grace to walk through it. We don't live in this world. We are sojourners with our eyes on eternity living for a king. Who are you? You're a Christian. And then whatever you do, you do as a Christian. Does it cost you your job? I'm telling you this. The way America is headed, it may cost all of us our jobs. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a martyr in America in the next 10 years. At least go into prison. For, for Pastor Rand and Pastor Lindsay, myself, hey, if you see us in prison, you just tell us, be strong. Be strong. Don't you try to get me out. You just say, be strong. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. That as pastors, we would stand up and say, I'm not going to compromise. We're not called to be politically correct. We're called to be biblical. And so it's important for us as believers to know, who am I? The last question that I believe Daniel had to answer for him to be the one that God used in such a mighty and powerful way is how will I live? So what is truth? Who am I? How will I live? Daniel chapter 1 verses, or verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked his chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. He here has made a resolution as a young man that he was not going to compromise, but the way he lived was going to be what it was he believed. And so it's interesting that he says, I will not defile myself with the, the king's portion or the king's food. So what does that mean? This is what happens. As you are conquered as a nation back in these days, they would bring the ones of noble blood, the smart ones, the ones that were educated, that would be good, wise counsel to the king. They would invite them to the king's table. Now imagine, if you will, you're Daniel, you're Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You have royalty in your veins. So you should be eating at the king's table in your land. You are now captive. Many of your friends have died. You've watched them die. Many died on the journey. Many, even in education, might have been put to death because they were not smart enough, good enough. They might not even looked well enough, so the king would do whatever he wanted to them. And here you have this king that has offered you his portion. And as a slave, you get to taste what you feel like you deserve. And so the king would begin to manipulate your heart. 
by the delicacies of the kingdom. And so in doing so would win your loyalty and your favor. So even when he sends you back to your nation to rule for him, you will never forget it is the king that provides. And his delicacies are because he is giving them to you generously. And I wonder in America, we have been promised the American dream on the backs of people that worked hard, that fought that have given their lives so that we as Americans can enjoy what it is that we enjoy. I wonder if there's moments in our lives our hearts have become so engrossed in the world that we have become like the world. We enjoy the nice things of America. Listen, there's great things about America. I love air conditioning. I love having a nice car. I love having money. I I enjoy having an iPad. Thank Jesus for an iPad. I enjoy all the different things that we have, and and, and it's great. But the problem is when those things become so attached to us, it sways our loyalty that we will do whatever it takes to have the latest, the greatest, and the best. We have been deceived. And I can hear Daniel just saying, don't do it. Resolve in your heart. Well, what is resolve? That means devoted to principle, committed to action. Devoted to principle, committed to action. I'm not going to be enslaved by the pleasures of this world. That means, God, you tell me to give sacrificially. I'm going to give. God, you tell me to lay aside the pleasures of this world. Listen, the greatest enemy to America is the American dream. In many ways, it's that pursuit of more. It's that I've got more. It's upon the horizon. We're almost there. We're almost there. No, no. You will never be satisfied with anything more than Jesus. You say, well, what does that look like? Fulfill your purpose. How do I do that? That means you get up in the morning and you say, God, I am a steward. The Bible clearly says we are stewards of the things God has given to us. It ain't your stuff. So then we say, God, what do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to live? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to be? God, my life is given to you because I am devoted to you. And as Americans, if we're going to see a change in this nation, we must see men and women that are resolved. People that are committed to principle, committed to the word of God, committed to not only having a good word of religion, but a lifestyle. So many times we've talked a good talk, but we failed to walk the walk. And I can hear Daniel say, don't compromise your convictions. Don't compromise what you do. Don't compromise your life. Let God use you to be the one. I kind of equate it like this. It's the difference between an army and a social club. Chris, you can come up. We're gonna... Army and a social club. You know, I was mentored by another great leader. And uh, he impacted me in an incredible, incredible way. Uh, he, he wrote a book called Battle Cry for a Generation. Battle Cry for a Generation. And one of the things that God really put inside of me is this mentality and this understanding that, you know what, we're not part of a social club. You say, well, what what do you mean? Well, if you want to be a part of a social club, go to the Rotary Club. See, you can join that and you can unjoin that. You can show up for a meeting and you can not show up for a meeting. Go join the YMCA, pay them your money and don't ever go work out. That's a social club. Is it not true? And so here we go out and, and, we, and we get into this mentality as Americans that I'm joining a social club. I give a little bit of a do and I show up whenever I want to. No, no, no. Hold up. 
The Bible clearly calls us to be a part of an army. When we are born again, conversion takes place. You live for a king and he rules your heart and your life. And so it's not about what you want. It's not about what I want. It's not about what you think. It's not about what I think. It says his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so when this mentality of an army gets a hold of me, it says I obey even when I don't understand. I choose to live my life the way he's asking me to live, even when it's tough. I give tithes even when it doesn't feel like I got tithes. Why? Because you're part of an army. Oh, you're messing with my money. No, I'm trying to get you engaged to the king who is the provider. And if we would understand this, the reality is our lives would be different. You show up and serve in the children's department whether you want to or not. Oh, but you know, I'm not feeling spiritual. That's right. Hey, welcome. We all have those days we don't feel spiritual. And the thing that we understand is I engage. I do life groups. I go to discipleship. I engage my community. I do outreach. I do whatever it is that God is calling me to do because I joined an army and the king is God. We have to have a devotion to our king. And as we do, I believe we will change the world. I have a story that I've read a while back that absolutely gripped my heart. Have you ever heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great was a great emperor. He actually conquered the known world in his day. Around 331 BC. Alexander the Great, he marched towards India with his armies. Alexander had already conquered much of the known world and would stop at nothing to have everything. He was a strong leader. Every soldier was willing to follow him. No matter what the cost was, they would follow Alexander. He had a strong campaign. He was going to take over the world. Yet in this campaign, he encountered some difficulty. He arrived to a certain city that was walled with high walls. And as he approached this great city, he peered towards the king that stood up above him. He shouted, my name is Alexander the Great, and I demand that you surrender immediately. Laughing, the king asked, why in the world would we surrender to you? He then proceeded to explain to Alexander how that he outnumbered Alexander's troop and that they were more prepared to defend the city than Alexander. In response, Alexander turned to a hundred of his choice troops. He commanded them to line up in a perfect line facing the cliff. And then they did so immediately out of respect and honor. And he began to say, march. They began marching towards the edge of the cliff. Without stopping, the first soldier stepped off the cliff and plummeted to his death. As did the second soldier, the third soldier. The fourth soldier, the fifth soldier, all falling to their death, all the way to the eleventh soldier. When Alexander finally yelled, he said, Halt! He gazed back to the king, who was completely astonished by the obedience of these men and the respect that they held for their emperor. He surrendered immediately. Alexander went on from there to conquer the known civilized world. Their hearts were fully committed to their king for his cause. And I wonder this morning if there's some in here that God has commanded you to start marching. And you feel like, man, it's, I'm marching off a cliff. He said, yep, that's right. 
I'm going to die. Yep, that's right. Oh, it's not going to feel good. God, what do I do? He said, keep marching. But God, I don't understand. Just keep marching. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, sometimes you got to die to popularity. You might have to die the dream of a job because they fire you. He says, march. You might have to die to family members that disown you. And you say, oh, that relationship means so much to me. God is saying, march. But God, I might fall off the cliff. He said, no, you're going to fall off the cliff. But in doing so, you will bring me glory. March. And I wonder if there are Christians today that we get up to that cliff and we like it and we say, oh, no, I'm too comfortable. God's saying, march. I wonder if we could be like Daniel. Listen, Daniel didn't have any guarantees that God was going to move on his behalf in the way that he did. There are no guarantees that our life is going to turn out as a fairy tale. But I can guarantee you this. Eternity is what we have to look for. And when God says march, it's not our job to understand why it hurts, what's going to happen. The results, our job is to say, God, I will march. God, I choose to live for you. God, I choose to be what you've called me to be. And though I don't understand, I am fully devoted to my king. See, that's an army. And listen, I know we're always going to pastor those that are not part of the church. They're going to come in every once a month. And to those, we pray God would capture their heart. But as the core, as the believers, we ought to have the lifestyle of dying every day for Jesus. And this morning, I I, I wonder if there are some in this room that God wants to impart courage to you. You know, it's not easy. Listen, it's, it's very difficult to be a Christian in America today and not suffer some kind of consequence. But I'll tell you this. God is saying this morning, don't compromise. Don't compromise. I'll be there. Yeah, it doesn't matter what it looks like. I'll be there. I'll receive the glory. And this morning, I wonder if God is just saying, don't compromise. Let me just pray. Can we stand up for a second? You know, there's really a couple. Father, we praise you. There's really two groups of people. I was sitting there earlier just kind of praying, God, what, what do you want to do? And I really feel like there's two kind of groups. Number one, those that need courage to stand strong. Some in here, you, you just need to repent. You say, God, man, I, I, I got weak. I haven't been living the right way. I'm a Christian, but yet, God, I, I want to repent of the past, and today is a new day. Today's your day. You can't change what happened yesterday, but how many know we can repent and say, God, tomorrow's going to be different? This afternoon is going to be different. I want you to know this. There's a grace for God to release that in your life right now. Courage to stand up and be who he's called you to be. And the second one is this. There are several, many in here that say, man, I've not compromised at all. Well, let me tell you, you need strength. You say, with well, strength? Yeah, you need strength. God is going to empower you with more strength than you've ever had. But the days ahead, listen, we as Christians need more of God's power, His grace, His desire, His strength to be the salt and the light. Every day, God, give me more strength. And so I'm going to release that strength in your life as well. Father, we worship you. And you know, I also believe that there are people in here, you're not a part of the army of God. 
You say, well, you know, what's the army of God? You've never been born again. Something happens on the inside of us. It says we put our trust in Christ alone. We confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart. And those two things happen on simultaneous when we, when we really say, God, I'm all yours. I trust you, not religion. I trust you, the price that your son paid for my salvation. Some of you in this place, God wants to bring you to a place of salvation. Today's your day to join the army. So I know there's three different groups. Father, we worship you, Lord. Oh, I worship you, Lord. Father, we worship you. Lord, we worship you. God is working on some of your hearts. Just begin to respond right now. I'm not going to bring you up this morning. Just, oh, just raise your hand. Just begin to respond. I sense God's grace being released right now. God, I release your grace, your power, your desire, Father. Lord, I just thank you for strengthening those who have been strong. God, keep them strong. God, that no matter the cost that they pay with their lives, even when it feels like they're walking off a cliff, God, give them the strength to be your men, to be your women. God, to raise godly families, to be the salt and the light. God, that they would do what you've called and created them to do. Father, I release your grace right now over those that have compromised. That this morning, your spirit brings a sense of conviction, not condemnation, but God, conviction of, God, I want to be the Daniel. I want to be the one. I want to be your man, be your woman. Father, let now be a new beginning. Father, we worship you. Lord, we praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. And then this is what I'm going to say as well. With Pastor Rand and whatever he decides to do at the very end, if there's those that say, man, today is the day of salvation, would you respond at the very end when he opens up the altar so that we could spend some time with you, pray with you? It's not just words that we say. It's a, it's a condition of the heart. God touches you, and then there's a response. Today is your day of salvation. So just respond at the end when Pastor Rand gives that.